Again, good morning. Welcome to New Community. I loved, as usual, that worship set because the central focus of everything we sang was about God. I love that. Um, so much of what I think happens in the church um, should not be directed to just me and how I feel or what I'm going through, but certainly should be directed toward all of who God is and how we see that expressed in Jesus Christ. Um, we are into our second week in the book of Colossians with many more weeks to come as we kind of traverse through this letter and look at what Jesus is saying to the church, us collectively. And uh, as always, Paul starts out just about every single letter the exact same way where he has a greeting. It's pretty usual. He says this in Colossians, we talked about it last week, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to Timothy, our brother. And really, that's all we got to last week. Just the introduction of who Paul was and the fact that he talked about his identity in Christ. I mentioned last week when we looked at this idea of identity, I mentioned this particular quote. It'll be on the screen. You can follow along. It says this, we build our lives around our identity, around how we see ourselves. If you see yourself first and foremost as a businessman, or a housewife or a professional, then you will build your life around this with the church or the body of Christ as part of an orbiting fringe of activities. But if you see yourself first and foremost as a member of God's missional people, then you will build your life around this identity. My encouragement from last week was to build your life around the identities that you receive directly from our Father that you are a son or daughter of the king, that you are a member of God's missional family. And my challenge to all of us was to meditate on that this last week, to really spend some time thinking about who we are in Christ because we are who God says we are. We're not necessarily who we say we are sometimes, but we are always who God says that we are. And today, we pick up on the next aspect of the letter um, it was read this morning as we started our service, but for half of you, here's what we read. Just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, and I'm just going to read the first uh, few uh, verses of this. We're looking at Colossians 1, 2 through 8. To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. That's going to be the primary focus of our time this morning. As I said, Paul has a way of starting all of his letters. He usually identifies himself, and then he usually follows it up with grace and peace. We're not going to look at every single one, but they will be on the screen. 1 Corinthians, just to see that there's a bit of repetition. 1 Corinthians 1, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 1, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 1, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians, lest you're confused, grace to you and peace 
from God our Father. Philippians, grace to you and peace. I'm not going to read all of them, but he skips a little. Uh, in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, he really, really mixes it up. Ready? Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Over and over and over again in every one of these letters that he sends out, he says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. If you remember, which I won't uh, hold you against it if you don't, but about a year and a half ago, I did a talk on grace and peace. I want to remind you really quickly, grace, God loves you as you are, not as you should be. And what Paul was saying is, and I will too. That when we greet one another with grace, we're basically saying that the way that God loves you, he loves you just as you are, not the way that you should be. And I'm going to love you that exact same way. And then when we pray for peace or we greet someone with peace, we are saying that we want their experience or their desired outcome to be shalom. That we want good to come to the other, the utmost good. So wholeness and completeness and harmony, those are the things that we're praying for. So Paul starts off and says grace and peace, and then he typically moves to being thankful right after it. The text goes like this. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. And this is repeated as well. He says it again and again and again when he writes. Romans 1, verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. First Corinthians, I thank my God always concerning you. Ephesians 1, I do not cease to give thanks for you. He continues over and over and over to say, with gratitude to God that I am grateful for you. And he's describing the local church, the context into which he is writing. And Paul lists, typically in this, all the things that he's thankful for. But one of the things that I noticed as I studied through all these is that he does not typically repeat what he says from one church to another church. So in a similar way, it'd be as if he came up to one person and said, hey, here's something I see in you. He's not going to necessarily repeat that to the next person, but would highlight something different in what he sees in that particular community. So what Paul does is he expresses gratitude to Christ for what he sees and for the group of people, but then he highlights what it is he sees. And the reason I think he switches and gives different kind of affirmations to each particular church is because God is moving in every local church and in every community around the world in drastically different ways. There are glimpses of God's glory being manifest among us. There are traces of the kingdom of God in its fullness being realized on earth. And you see those pockets throughout the world in each expression is a little bit different. And part of why that's the case is because each of you are uniquely different. You have different gifts and passions and priorities. You have different things that God is stirring in each and every one of you. And it is those things that he is enabling to come to life in our community and in our city. He gives what I think is a bit of an assessment. So what Paul does is he starts with this praise, 
Grace and peace moves to thankfulness to God. Then he starts to say the things that he's thankful for. And in many ways, it's an assessment. Now, most of us, I think, are familiar with assessments. We don't necessarily always call them that. We call them grades or report cards or progress reports. We call them constructive criticism. We call them performance reviews at work. We call them whatever it is. Um, And they vary from group to group. My son recently was in a drama, and his drama teacher would affirm or give an assessment. These are the things that I see in you that tell me you're destined for stardom, right? And these are the things that I see in you that tell me you've got a lot of work to do in your acting ability, right? And so you have these like contrasts where you're assessing the ability or you're assessing the community and saying, these are the things that I see that God is doing and moving in you in amazing ways. And these are the things that maybe we need to think about continuing to prove. Uh, We do this annually with the 90 Plus Project. Uh, So we do soccer player assessments. But one of the things that's so important to me and so important to every one of our coaches is that we always affirm before we ever challenge. We always affirm before we ever critique. And what I mean by that is we want every single player that's a part of the 90 Plus Project to know that who they are is more important than what they do. Who they are is more important than what they do. So when I, with our like more competitive teams, when we bring them and meet, we will have a conversation and we wanna highlight everything about the person far before the player. So we wanna talk about their personality, we wanna talk about how we see that they're courageous, that they have humor, that they bring qualities to the team that are different than others, that they're a great listener, or that they have, that you want to highlight aspects of their character. And so you have that conversation around that far before you talk about, and you need to learn how to pass the ball, or and you need to know how to shoot the ball, or any of that, right? Because you're getting at there's something important about the player far beyond what they do on the field. In a similar way, Paul is giving an assessment to the church of Colossae, and he starts with those things that we can affirm before he ever gets to anything that um, needs improvement or a challenge. Uh, It's what Kevin often calls an affirmation sandwich. You give a positive or two, you sprinkle in a little area of improvement, you finish with another affirmation. It's just easier for it to go down, right? You give them the affirmation, then you follow it up with a challenge. And that's what Paul is doing in this particular letter. He starts off with what I would call like a Mr. Rogers moment. And he has this moment where he like looks with the church, like pulls him in close, stares at him and says, you know that you are not the sum total of what you accomplish. You're not. Your value comes from something far more than that. It's about who you are. It's about your identity as my child. And he's having this conversation about their connection with God. And then he goes on to move through the rest of the letter. And he says this, and I'll read it again. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you. And he lists three affirmations right at the beginning. That they have faith. 
that they've placed their trust and their confidence in Jesus Christ, that they have a love, that their very faith is expressed through the way that they love one another, and that they have a hope, which means that they have this confidence in a future reality that inspires them to live in the present reality with both faith and love. So he's affirming those three things. And the phrase that throughout my study kept coming back to me over and over was this phrase, since we heard. Now, Paul never went at this time of writing. He had never visited the church. He had never come and been among them. So all that he knew of this community was based on what he heard. And I was struck by that. He said, this is your reputation. This is what I've heard about you. And so it got me thinking about new community. If Paul was writing a letter to a new community, what would he affirm? What would he say he has seen in us? What he has heard in us? What would he start off with? And then I started thinking, what have we as a staff or those of us that have the opportunity to speak up front, what have we affirmed about the community over the recent past? And then I started thinking, what would others affirm about our community? So I started asking myself that question, and then I started asking others. I asked staff members, I asked elders, I asked people outside of the church, and uh, I got quite a list, quite a list of all of the affirmations that people would pass on to this community. And uh, I'm only going to share three of them with you this morning because I don't want them all to go to your head, but these three are the ones that kind of stood out to me the most. That if Paul was writing this letter to us, and as other church leaders and pastors and uh, friends would have said these exact same things to us, I thought it might be helpful for us to think about them this morning. So if I was to copy Paul's words, I would say this. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, new community, since we have heard of your generosity. I think you, new community, are incredibly generous. You are a people of deep generosity. And I'm not just talking about money or giving or finances, and that is true. That's part of what it means to be generous, but it's much more than that. When I think of generosity, this particular phrase comes to mind. Generosity is a natural outward expression of an inner attitude dominated by compassion and loving kindness. It means that out of the core of who we are, there is this compassion and loving kindness that radiates to others in generosity. And I think this is true in multiple ways. First, financially. There are whole ministries that exist in Spokane that um, feel a deep generosity from this community. Not just new community, but uh, there are others that thrive based on this group of people's generosity toward them. Whether it's Young Life or Youth for Christ or Couple Cool Water or L'Arche or the list can go on and on, this community has a deeply generous spirit. Nonprofits like Global Neighborhood that works with refugees and the 90 Plus Project that works with at-risk youth, neither of those would exist without this community's vision and this community's giving. Impossible. 
Our church plants, all six of them throughout Spokane and Coeur d'Alene, would not exist without your vision and your sacrifice. The truth. Our missionaries that are able to serve all over. I was just speaking with um, two of them, one in Tanzania and one in Siberia this week via video conferencing. And their ministry, the ministry of those in Indiana or Washington or uh, Europe or wherever, Nigeria, all of those missionaries that have been sent and supported by this community would not be doing what they're doing without the generosity and your grace. But I also see it in the way that you meet personal needs. You are consistently doing this, and especially on the down low, and I love that. Like, I get to be the beneficiary of being like Santa Claus throughout the whole year because people will come to me and say, hey, I saw so-and-so has a need, and I don't want them to know who gave it besides God. So can I give it to you and then you go give it to them? And I'm like, this is the best. It's so awesome. You get to go, hey, I, somebody wanted me to give this to you. And they wanted me to like, give it to you as if you got it from God. And so like, no strings attached. I mean, people have given cars and dressers and bikes and beds. And people have given cash to meet needs. People have over and over. You guys see a need, and then you seek to meet it. You find ways to express that generosity, even when it isn't being asked for. I think one of the biggest traits that I see in people who are generous is people who recognize the need, and then realize that if they recognized it, it's probably because God wanted them to recognize it, which then probably means God wanted them to be the one to do something about it. And that happens again and again and again in our community. It reminds me of this passage that uh, Paul speaks of in 2 Corinthians when he says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. What he's getting at is, that the finances and the generosity of his people are extended to his people so that they can abound in every good thing all of the time for every good work. So it's again and again and again this is happening in our community. And I also see it in the way you give of yourself. There's a quote that says, you give but little when you give of your possessions. It is when you give of yourself that you truly give. And again, this is something that I think Paul would affirm of this community, that when the world chooses to be selfish, I see you choose to live in community. When the world says, oh, I'll give out of my abundance, I see that you give out of sacrifice. When the world struggles to have their needs met, I see you turn it around and lean even harder into seeking how you can meet someone else's needs. When the world harbors bitterness and seeks revenge, I see you generously forgive over and over. And when the world turns away a stranger because of inconvenience, I see you open your lives. In these ways and in many more that I could talk about, I see that you are a deeply generous people. Second thing I would affirm 
and that others have affirmed to me about you. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you, new community, since we have heard of your diverse advocacy. What that means is this, that you have allowed the Spirit of God to move you through stages of growth, all of us through stages of growth, as it relates to caring for others. We've moved from being a people of apathy to awareness, from awareness to empathy, from empathy to action, and each step along the way, we've continued to listen to the Spirit. It has been remarkable to me through the 13 plus years I've been here to see this community be advocates of justice and equality and seekers of shalom. Here's a few ways that I've seen it. You have desired educational improvement and aid in the school system. You've fought for the rights of refugees, even establishing a nonprofit to meet the needs. You've assisted with low-income youth. You have celebrated recovery programs like AA and others. You have supported feeding people through the program here. Um, you have given a voice to youth without homes. You've supported teen moms. You've assisted with women in poverty. You've worked for advocacy for people with special needs. And here's the beautiful thing about it. Each one of those things I mentioned is not a passion for every one of you in the room. I know that, and that's great, that's okay, because that's the beauty of the diversity of the body of Christ. We are diverse advocates. So some of us deeply care for those with different abilities or special needs. Some of us are deeply passionate about youth in our city that do not have good homes to go to or no home at all. Some of you care so passionately about education and informing kids and helping them to learn and to grow. Again, I could go through each and every one, but the beauty is that the body of Christ is all collectively meeting the needs in all of these areas and more that I didn't mention. And what it reminds me of is that passage that we probably yearly look at in Jeremiah. It says this, but seek the welfare or the shalom of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. The big idea being that as you meet those needs you see, as you um, advocate for those who do not have, in the midst of that, it blesses the whole city. In the midst of that, the gospel goes forth. In the midst of that, people experience wholeness and rightness. They begin to see the kingdom of God flourish in the midst of all of that, we have been a community of diverse advocacy. Third and final, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, new community, since we have heard of your steadfast growth mindset. When I wrote that, I thought to myself, Paul probably wouldn't have used those exact terms. He might not have been <laughs> into growth mindset yet at that point. Um, but to me, this is what that phrase means to me. Steadfast carries this idea of grounded or centered or stable. Um, and then I think growth mindset carries for me with it the idea of courage and risk and growth and learning and struggle. The idea that like we are all in process and we're willing to take risks to keep learning and growing. 
And I, I think this, for me, is one of the ones that I heard that I agree with resoundingly, that there is a, a deepness about this community, a steadiness about it. Uh, when the rest of the church world at times seems attracted to the flashy or to the new, you have continued to set a tone for being grounded in that which is solid, continuing to affirm faith, continuing to be faithful, and do the part that we think God has called us to. And you just keep at it, and you keep at it, and you keep at it. And I think that is beautiful. But apart from that steadiness, I think that steadiness requires sacrifice and risk. That's part of that growth mindset, and I think that we have leaned into that quite well also. But there is this sense that we've not shied away from it. In fact, um, I was looking back through my notes, and the last, this next part, what I'm going to share are things from notes that I have uh, taken uh, on Sundays. So this exact Sunday in 2017, I took these two phrases from my notes. I said that we are not afraid of change. And I went on to describe it this way. In, a life, in life, it is easy to remain safe and to keep things the same, but we, you, have been a community willing to change. Same Sunday, I said that you're willing to risk and be bold. It's easy to get complacent or to remain content with what we have accomplished, but there's been a clear sense that you see a bigger vision and a higher calling for us as a community. I went on to talk about that because three years ago today was the day we found out for sure that the church was going to move from the location we were to this location. Three years ago today was the day we declared that, made it known that the money that we were looking to get in all came in. And we made a risk to move to this space. We made a risk to say that we believed God had a different and higher and more challenging calling for us as a community. And I think in addition to this idea of growth mindset is the, the knowledge that growth requires or embraces discomfort. And I think we have embraced discomfort. Growth is challenging and often uncomfortable. Kevin made these exact statements on February of 2015. He and I did a tag team talk, and I had looked in my notes, and I realized he and I had tag teamed the talk, and so I had all of his words included in my notes, and I copied and pasted this. This is what he said in 2015, about this time five years ago. Discomfort is something that we naturally seek to avoid. Whether consciously or subconsciously, we are always seeking comfort. When our legs are tired, we sit. When our stomach growls, we eat. When we are tired, we take a nap. When we are cold, we get a sweatshirt. This mentality has not only influenced everything about our Western culture, but about the American church. And I love this because there's no way Kevin could have predicted this in uh, 2015. But he says this, when churches move locations, they find more comfortable buildings. <laughs> Not true. Um, 
They get rid of wood pews and find soft chairs. Also not true. When we uh, can afford it, we upgrade to better coffee. True. Um, we volunteer, uh, volunteers lead services more, or uh, volunteer-led services, excuse me, move to paid staff, allowing people to just show up. We struggle to make our services fit into a one-hour time slot so that we don't run long. You see, he says, we have placed an absolute premium on being comfortable. What I love about that is it's the opposite of everything we do, Right? He's saying, like, this is what the church in America often does, and yet we have realized that there's something beautiful about the uncomfortable, that that's where growth comes. Kevin went on to say this, I would argue that the very nature of the Christian life is one of embracing discomfort. This was the life modeled by Christ, most notably on the cross. He says this, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. The cross is not just something we look at in admiration of Christ. It is a reminder, an actual metaphor for our lives and how we're to live them. And we, I believe, at New Community have embraced that aspect of our faith. We're willing to endure the challenge And this is, I think, what Paul's getting at in Colossians 1 1, when he says that the whole world is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you. He's saying that we, the gospel, through us is being fruitful and multiplying. He's alluding back to Genesis. That there's a, a fruit that is growing among our community that is bearing fruit in our city and it is resulting in change. I want to share this last thing, and then we'll close. On February 8th, 2015, the talk that Kevin and I gave where we went back and forth, as I was looking at it, I noticed the very end of the talk. And the very end of the talk was a list of affirmations. Kevin and I likely were seated on two stools side by side. And uh, I read an affirmation. And then he read an affirmation. And we went back and forth through each of these affirmations. And I was struck by them for a couple reasons. One, we probably shouldn't wait every five years to affirm you. Um, But two, I I was struck by the, what was said five years ago. Um, All of you know Kevin and I, we by no means are prophetic. And by no means do we say much great and wise things, but it feels like with these affirmations, there was something that God was up to when we said them. We said this, we want to affirm new community in a few ways, and they'll be on the screen. Continue to be a people that care for the downtrodden and forgotten in Spokane. Continue to be a people that create a safe place to worship for those who have been hurt by the church. Continue to be a people that seek to be risky and send people on God's mission. Continue to be a people that earnestly pursues God through prayer and study and the disciplines. Continue to be a people that love one another in unity of spirit, allowing us to have a diversity of theology but a center of love. 
continue to be a people that understand that the church is not a Sunday service, but rather a committed group of people on mission. Let us seek to be people that think creatively about mission and are disciplined in how we follow Christ. As I read through those, I was amazed because I feel as if every one of those affirmations God is bringing into reality. That we sit here five years later and we have been these things and we are being these things. And I think if Paul was writing the first letter to the church of New Community, he would start with grace and peace. You are who God says you are, and I want complete wholeness for you. Then he would say, I am grateful to Jesus, grateful to God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And he would affirm your generosity. He would affirm your advocacy. I think he would continue to affirm that we have been growing in challenge and willing to be steadfast. And it is those things that he wants to continue to do among us. Will you stand with me? We're going to do a benediction, and I'm asking if you would join me in doing the benediction together this morning. It is um, from St. Ignatius of Loyola, and I've adjusted his words to be communal language, so all of it instead of I is we and us. Um, And contrary to last week, I don't know if, it doesn't really show it, but contrast last week, you'll read the bold, and I'll... I'll read the light, but in this case, it all looks the same. So uh, let's all read together, starting with Lord and finishing with more, and then I'll read the last part as we finish our prayer. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, take all our freedom, our memory, our understanding, and our will. All that we have and cherish, you have given us. We surrender it all to be guided by your will. Your grace and your love are wealth enough for us. Give us these, Lord Jesus, and we ask for nothing more. We pray this in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You're dismissed. Have a great week.